Hi, I'm Greg Potter, and this is 20-Minute Collaborations. Good morning, collaborators. I hope you are having a fantastic week so far. I'm here in Johannesburg. Uh, my first group of the LGBTQ plus interchange is all here, and I'm so excited, and we're loving them showing people this amazing country. But right now, I've only showed them slight slice of Johannesburg. <laughs> so I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Anyway, in all the chaos, in all the commotion, I still got a chance to sit down with the phenomenal and talented and beautiful Nina Vial. Holy moly, oh my gosh. Well, I met Nina when I was at graduate school at the Clinton School of Public Service, and we have gotten on so well. She is one of my favorite speakers in the entire world. She, we didn't talk about this in the podcast, but she was such beast when it comes to debating that in one of our classes, in our rhetoric class, there was a moment where we all were in one very large social justice-based debate. And just for fun, Nina took on the entire class and she still won the debate. That's how phenomenal she is at this. Her ability to manage and work words is so outstanding. I mean, you're going to laugh and you're going to be like, oh yeah, and there's going to be so many different verbal responses from you during this podcast. I cannot wait. Nina Viel is a wife, a dog mom. She currently resides in Seattle. She's from New York. She, as you'll hear again, I can't reiterate this enough, her talent with words and how to just work them and use them to the most effective use is phenomenal. She, for work-wise, she's the Director of Development and Communications at the Northwest Education Access. She's so much more than that. This story she shares today is, all you fundraisers are going to love it so much, but there are also some great nuances in it that we can use into all of our collaborations. I'm so excited for you to listen to this conversation. And here is Nina Viel. gosh okay so i've been just a dinner with my first group to come to south africa for the lgbtq plus interchange and i got to get on zoom and now i'm on zoom with the beautiful and amazing and talented and intelligent and outspoken and quick speaking and all everything speaking nina vl ah <laughs> uh, thanks so much for having me greg i mean once you announced that you're doing these collaborations i was like if you don't invite me we're about to scrap. We're about to have a problem. You and I would have a problem. But now I'm here and our relationship is assured. Oh my gosh. You know, I would always include you. I mean, when I was doing the social change forum, you were one of the first people to come and speak. So, which yeah, I- That was also my first introduction to Wisconsin. It's where I learned that people who live there eat pie with cheese on it, which I'm still not all the way sure about how that goes down. <laughs> you know, y'all do y'all, do y'all, I guess. 
Y'all do y'all. Um, well, I'm so happy that you found time on your Sunday to chat with me. I first, because I don't, I don't want to like lead you on. Will you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Of course. Um, I'm originally from the middle of New York State. I'm from an immigrant family. I met Greg at the Clinton School of Public Service, and I live in Seattle. I'm currently the Director of Development and Communications at mid-sized nonprofit Northwest Education Access, which is just a wonderful community to work. Um, I believe really strongly in the mission of bringing education access to low-income students on more non-traditional pathways. So that's what I do professionally. I'm also an up-and-coming novelist. Woo! I'm my debut novel out soon, How to Save Black Boys. So that'll be a different podcast episode because some stuff goes down over there. Um, for my hobbies, like a lot of people, I got a fluffy companion during the pandemic. Unlike a lot of people, I'm an extremely competitive person. So I immediately weaponized my super cute dog into dog sports. So after work, that's what I'm mostly doing with my time. Three, We got three or four classes per week, you know, agility, obedience, tricks, training. I just feel like as a person in the world now in my 30s, there's just nothing more of a flex than asking your dog to do something unnecessary at a beer garden patio in front of other people. You know, just, I just get such a power rush from having a more well-trained dog than all the white people around here. So. <laughs> what is the best trick that your dog does? Mm, he has a lot of, I mean, tricks, you know, of course, the, of course, I'm the most impressed with all of our agility stuff. There's just something so incredible about watching your dog, like, be so athletic and, like, jump on command. You know, he jumps over all parts of my body on command. One time when I was really bored, I trained him how to jump over my butt on command, and that only took, like, three minutes to do. I thought he would have a harder time because I got a big ass. And it is dope. <laughs> but you know, he only 40 pounds. I'm like, do you got the leg width span to handle all this? And he does. He's a winner. And that's how I know one day we're going to get the gold. <laughs> the gold of whatever it is, but you're going to get the gold. Mm -hmm. The one thing before I, we go into your story and tell, you know, get into that piece, I'm a little sad that you did not share with the listeners that you are like one of the top debate champions in the entire world. <laughs> I, know I, I know I exaggerated a little bit, but. <laughs> no, that's right. There's, a, according to Greg's viewpoint, you know, there are no other debaters except for me. I'm the number one. Uh, yeah, I uh, did debate in college. It was one of kind of my pathways towards accessing like funding and exploration of school. It was great. I really met my tribe of people there and kind of opened up some of the possibilities of what a communications degree could do. I was one of those people I'm like, I am medium interested in a lot of things, but I did not start school with a very clear sense of where it was I needed to be. And so debate was a great way for me to kind of meet my tribe, so to speak, and kind of figure out what skills I can sharpen while I'm figuring my life out. And I'm pretty proud of myself because I do still use all of those skills now in my work as a professional fundraiser. Oh my God, I can only imagine how often it comes up and you don't even realize it comes up. <laughs> crazy and like yeah you want to give you want to give me money so okay well every week I invite an amazing guest to come on and share a story of a time where they were working with other people to accomplish a common goal this goal does not have to be a formal or informal collaboration it can be whatever I don't curate these stories so Nina would you like to tell us a story 
I would love to tell you a story of, uh, as a professional, I do a lot of volunteering. For me, it's just such a great way to kind of keep my hand in on, of course, upcoming like professional trends, but I also never want to lose my sense of what my community is doing, you know, and what other communities are doing adjacent and in and beside me and intersecting in various ways. I always want my finger on that pulse. So I love volunteering uh, virtually and also in person. And I have a real special love for volunteering in communications and development work. I think it's such a difficult time for a nonprofit. Most nonprofits, uh, before they make that plunge and they're able to really hire full-time staff, and once they even are able to hire full-time staff, development and operations people tend to not be the very first people on staff. It do, you know, they do tend to start with like program-related individuals, and program officers are swaggy, don't get me wrong, you know, but it can take a long time for a nonprofit to have the budget to hire somebody like me who makes their their business professionally to be like, who are these donors? Who are these people? What do they care about? Which aspect of your mission are they relating to the most? And are, are is the material that we're producing, you know, sincere and something that people are connecting with? And how do you figure those things out? So I do a lot of volunteering, long story short, to see what that looks like in other levels, groups bigger and smaller than where I'm currently at. And so I was working with the Chamber of Commerce on their events committee. That was a big ex new experience for me because normally I run these committees, but this time I was just a humble volunteer, just there for the ride. And I was totally not in charge in any way. And that was kind of hard. It's hard for me to not, you know, unintentionally take the reins, uh, just showing up as how I am. And it doesn't help that, I don't know, uh, I, you know, talk real loud on accident every day all the time so <laughs> so <laughs> that can maybe lend a little little commanding air to these committee proceedings too and the other important thing to know about me for this story is i do all this stuff it's a labor of love because i hate committee meetings most committees all committees any configuration any size i'm basically like i can get this done so much faster with a smaller tighter ship and the food is never great uh, what's going on with these committee meetings, but um, we're working towards putting together a fundraiser for the Chamber of Commerce in that particular region. So working with a lot of volunteers, I was the only one on that committee that had any kind of development experience. So I was definitely feeling the pressure. I want everything I do to be really to work out really well. But I wasn't really connecting so well with the other wonderful volunteers on the committee, because it turns out a lot of the stuff in the fundraising world that to me are like best practices level one don't really make sense intuitively in any other aspect of your life. Um, like in the fundraising world it's totally acceptable if I'm having a fundraiser to you know I speak with a couple of donors beforehand to get a sense of where those gifts might be, especially if I'm doing a raise the paddle. The worst thing that can happen, of course, at a raise the paddle is some, you know, you're like, oh, does anyone want to donate $50,000? And it's just crickets. <laughs> Nobody's donating anything. You got to know your plan going in if you're going to flex like that. So, you know, so for me, I'm like, oh, of course, let me, let me, let me write this down. Who are we going to talk to? I'm happy to talk to these donors. And they're like, what do you mean you ask people for money before the event? That is rude. You know? You never, you know, and it did, it kind of was definitely getting mixed up with the like general etiquette rules of money. Like if you're planning a wedding, you don't ask anybody for any money, maybe they'll give it to you, but you definitely don't start with that conversation because it looks rude. And I'm like, yeah, but this is like a different thing. You know, people get it, ask for money, get those sponsorships. And they had a, a lot of rules also of what corporate companies, you know, they were, were wanting to partner with and 
there weren't any that they had any like pre-existing relationships with. And it was really difficult for me, uh, for sure. The hardest part too was um, they got really caught up in like the theme of the event, which themes of events are important. Maybe to me, not as important as like some of the other logistic details, but they were really excited and planning an event of magic for the audience. So they wanted to hire a magician. So this is for me where we went, like I went like way, not just like, off script, but like way off road. I don't think I've even been to a magic show ever. <laughs> I imagine people go, people are really into magic. I guess they have to be, but not I. It's <laughs> never happened to me. And so I was like, all right, we want a magician. All right, how much is that gonna cost? Like $500? How much are magicians these days? And then, you know, someone was arguing, really, she felt so strongly about it. And it was just, one of those moments where you take a step back and I'm like, I can't believe I somehow got to meet a person who feels this strongly about hashtag magician life <laughs> or equity in magicians. I'm sure racism impacts the magician hustle as much as it impacts and corrupts every aspect of what we're doing every minute of every day. It's just a thing that I, as a black woman who's not a magician, hadn't really had to consider until that exact moment. Like, <laughs> what's the equity gap in pay between black and white magicians? Does anybody know? Where's the data, you know, to make this offer not insulting? And we finally had a hilarious day where I was a part of a smaller subcommittee that got to see all the magicians perform as they try to get the gig. I guess they're auditioning. And um, for me, again, you know, for my purpose, I'm like, any of these magicians will do. They're all basically fine because it's not a magic show. It is, but it's a fundraiser, right? It's you know, it's not like yeah. the main thing. You know, no one's expecting you. You're not going to Vegas. You're not going to see the Cirque du Soleil and then a magician actor in the sparkle of the big city. They get it. I feel like the people will get it. But I somehow got, yeah, only volunteers with me who cared so deeply. And I just thought that was so strange. Just like, man, the, uh, I think it was Dear Prudence who wrote, like, the world is just such a rich tapestry, right? And we should, we should be grateful for some of the, the people that make up that rich tapestry. And that was definitely one of those moments for me. One lady's just like, listen, like, look at that magician. He like fumbled his card some. I'm like, it'll still delight the children. Sign him up. Let's get it done. We got stuff to do. And she's like, I don't know. You know, my son wanted to be a magician. And I don't even know if this magician was invited to the golden door or the golden circle, something golden that magicians have only like fancy magicians get to go to, I guess. Of course, there must be like the upper echelons of like magician society. And I'm like, this broad knows about it. I don't know about it. And also still my level of intensity of how much I love this idea is like, I'm not matching the energy of what the other volunteers are doing. <laughs> but long story short, uh, it did not work at all. I mean, the, the magician was great. He actually was a great MC. He had great energy. So I am coming around on the magician idea and viewers or listeners, you know, we'll be excited to know that I am not opposed to having magicians be a part of my journey <laughs> in the future, for sure, because he really laid it down on that stage, on that court. But unfortunately, we spent so much time embroiled in hot debates over the magician question. A lot of the other event questions just kind of went by the wayside. Um, and the event ended up losing money, which as a fundraiser is like one of the worst things. And right. then just 
this little bit of advice, you know, I want to get out here for free for other collaborations. You know, if you're working at a nonprofit and you don't have a large budget and you feel a certain amount of pressure to put on a certain red carpet, fancy dinner, breakfast, luncheon, whatever made up event, because that will make your board super happy and everyone thinks they have to do it. You totally do not have to do it. Events should match. Uh, the budget and the energy and the makeup of your staff. And that can look like anything. You don't have to force it into like booking a 300 person room at the Hyatt. Okay. Ain't nobody trying to be at the Hyatt these days. There's is such a thirst and a growth for fundraising events that look different, that are different, that actually look like what your organization looks like. So don't let yourself be pressured into working with magicians like me. Learn from my story and believe in yourself. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, first of all, I just, I hope, I hope that some of my old clients heard what you just said. <laughs> um, but anyway, besides that, okay, so the story has a couple interesting depths to it. One is the collaboration with the committee, and then two is the collaboration with the committee, which is like the, the forethought of the collaboration, the original group seeking out and then reaching out to funders. And so, okay, I'm going to ask two questions in this, and I'm going to have to end up probably stopping you with the answer of the first question so we can get to, get to the second question because I know how you and I are. Okay, the first question is buy-in. When you, um, buy-in slash transformational leadership. When you're not the official leader or facilitator of a group, how do you get buy-in and elevate your voice and what you see so other people see it. That's kind of the first question. What are some best practices around that? Or in a collaboration, just how do you find equity in the voice? Ooh, those are pretty big questions. I know, so you got 12 that. minutes. <laughs> 12 minutes, okay. And that wasn't even my second question. <laughs> I think the first one, of course, around buy-in, uh, especially coming in as an external fundraiser, if I'm partnering with a new organization or if I'm volunteering, it's a lot of listening. I don't know, I know what I know. I don't know anything that of the internal like workings of that organization. There are so many structural and institutional factors that have so much to do with the success of any kind of collaboration or long-term goal. And so first you just gotta listen. It's not sexy. Well, I guess it is sexy. Some people are real great listeners. I'm not, I gotta work at that shit. And I do active listening, engaged. So I create a lot of intentional time for myself to listen and ask questions, to do one-on-ones, you know, with different folks that are really involved. I just want to make sure I have all of those factors involved at play before I would start to even venture anything. So getting buy-in is, you know, just synonymous to me with like gaining trust, which is the thing that I was not as great at in the story that I just told you. They did not trust me really at all. You know, my ideas sounded too foreign. I think they were exciting and sexy, but you know, some people just don't see it in that same way. So yeah, I think definitely building up that trust uh, would have been uh, really helpful at that particular time. And then you mentioned also like finding equity in the voice. I think, well, that part of that, which it makes sense. It, what part of what looks like what that looks like for me is 
who is in which chair. I'm not always facilitating, so I don't always have a ton of control over who is speaking and whatnot, but I hope to be a person in the world who has a modicum of social grace. And so that can be around creating, you know, other kinds of alternative structures that's not just we're all around in a conference room in order to help raise up those voices and see. People will give you so much more information when you ask them one-on-one, -on -one, when you ask them in a way that they have time to process, uh, like even like doing it on the phone, like doing it over email or over the phone can be, or texting. I've gotten so much hot tea that I never would have gotten in a meeting over text message. <laughs> Turns out, you know, these donors, they will open up. You will wish they were quiet more <laughs> once you cross that threshold. Uh, but so for me, um, you know, and of course, like I, I am a woman of color um, approaching in these spaces and lots of times, you know, I could be the only one. And so definitely there can be a gap between like my perspective and their perspective of groups that I'm working with. And so part of finding equity and voice is for me, uh, my longer journey has definitely been centered on like, what does it look like for me to protect myself? Um, I do the best I can each time, but I'm no longer in a part of my life where I'm like, putting myself and like my social, emotional health and mental health at risk for organizations that are really just like using me for the various labels that I have. They shouldn't be able to get away with that now that I'm 32, because I have better health insurance now. <laughs> they should be able to get away with it, period, but we haven't crossed that bridge yet. So people Thank are still Thank you. But yeah. um, what I love what you just said was really comes down to strong boundaries. Strong boundaries for self and protecting self, but also strong boundaries for how communication happens. And, you know, the beautiful part about getting too much, so much tea through text, but that was the, that was the boundary, that was the rule created and the vehicle for communicating best with that specific funder, stakeholder, whatever was text. And then they became more authentic and genuine in that conversation. So that's beautiful. Um, did you have anything else to add to that before I ask the second question? <laughs> well, of course, just, you know, for some folks participating in group discussions just gives them hives and they don't want to do it. And so that's why I think having more of those non-traditional spaces of how you're approaching discussion and creating spaces uh, and how to have spaces. So that's definitely a piece that I've learned where you mentioned kind of in my intro, like need to talk fast, should be getting in there. And I really, I do for sure. But also I'm like, right, lots of people in this world would like any amount of time to like think about it and process and like frame. And it's been, it's amazing to me the transformational power that even having a minute of quiet to let people sit with their thoughts and process has in the meeting space. Right. When someone has a conversation with themselves or has space for that, it a lot can happen in even just a short conversation with themselves. Um, and I love that. Okay, I'm going to jump on to this other question because I think it's really important in what a formal collaboration or an intentional collaboration looks like with your unintentional story. Uh, when they had a problem with you reaching out to funders early, because anyone who's ever done proper fundraising, you know, especially for an event, we know, and sorry if you're listening to this and you don't know this, you should already have a sum of money raised before you get into an event. Bottom line, that's how it usually works. So uh, in the way I liked about your story was that 
one, they said, no, why are you doing that? Because it was a, going against the rules of engagement for money and their social constructs, whatever that was. But in a collaboration, it is, I'm reading it as, when is the right time to ask the second tier collaborators, stakeholders, whatever, to join? Like, when is a good time to do that? Because essentially in your story, the funders are second tier collaborators. Their collaboration might just be giving money, but they're still a collaborator. In it. They're still an actor. Whew. When is the right time to ask officially? <laughs> I mean, there's no real right time, but like, <laughs> you know, what are some ideas, the guidelines for asking? Yeah. Of course, I think it depends. Yeah, I mean, you have you have you have to think a lot about your event format and what do you add that intentionality to? What are you asking people to do? What ways are there to contribute? So with sponsorships, I start early. I start at least eight months out. That's that can still be too soon, <laughs> depending on the event. Uh, corporate groups typically have you know processes or foundations that do philanthropy on their behalf. Those grant applications can still take quite some time. You know, it might be a committee that only decides which groups they're giving money to, and they can only meet twice a year. You got to make sure your application is in at that exact meeting. So sponsorships can take a lot more time for research, relationship building, and more kind of work in actually like getting that request in. Um, and then when it comes to like more individual donors, so an individual person who is not necessarily representing a corporate group or sponsor, they're just a person in the world like Greg, who could be persuaded into parting some of their hard earned money because they believe in the mission that that organization is doing. Donors really want to accomplish change through the work that that nonprofit is doing. And to me, that is a beautiful relationship to some, for someone to have the self-awareness to say, this is a change that I want to see. I don't necessarily have the know-how of like what that looks like, but I trust that you do. And I want to invest and see, you know, my dream take shape through the work that is already happening by really stellar, awesome people. That can be such a beautiful gift in so many ways. And you wanna treasure that and kind of honor that by, and part of doing that is having transparency and building a relationship with the donor. If you've built a relationship with a donor, then anytime, you know, when you ask for funding, it shouldn't come as a big surprise. By the time I'm actually sitting down to do a solicitation with a donor, they have some sense of what that particular meeting is doing. Um, because I'm not, I'm not blindsiding them. We have plenty of meetings that are about other things. I, you genuinely do have to do some of that legwork of identifying what does that donor care about? Which part of their mission do they want to interact with the most? And what can make sense for this particular event? For example, um, one event that I'm really proud of is we did our first ever talent show in December. I did a performance with my dog. I did not win anything because these people are ungrateful, but I got a healthy amount of votes. Uh, the, our finance director did like an aerial silks routine. Worst off, it was, it was insane to see the talents that students and staff members turn out to have. And it turns out I work with and around stunningly talented, brilliant people. They need to bring more of those nighttime selves to the daytime is what I'm saying in the office. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I wanna stop because we're running out of time, but um, I want to bring that back in with the donors now, what if it was a different in the same idea of when you're asking donors about money? Let's say you and I were doing a community initiative that had nothing to do with fundraising. When would we, like, when is it, how do you equate the time that you'd be asking donors for about donating, donating to volunteers to think about volunteering or someone who was going to take the marketing department of this 
comedian issue that you and I were going to do. Because initially you and I were the ones that thought of the idea, but then we've got to start asking for help. So when is, how do you, and I, mean, I hope I'm making sense. It's so late. So my brain is like, blah, when you ask, uh, like the, with the fundy, fundraisers or the funders, when do you start asking other people and other collaborations? Your question is, when do you start asking other funders to do stuff? Well, not necessarily funders, but let's say you and I were doing our own community-based mm -hmm. project, and now we started had to bring, bring in other actors or other collaborators into it. When do we start telling them about it? And, you know, like the idea with the transparency, they still have to know that we're going to ask we're going to have an ask when we sit down to meet them but when do we originally tell them that this idea is happening i like to do it early on i like to build in opportunities for my donors to engage and offer critiques and feedback at various planning stages potentially especially for new events that are happening so i don't think i mean once you know the time you once you have a date and time at an event and you basically know what it is you want that event to be. Is it a panel? Is it a discussion? Is it a hula hoop party? What are we doing? Is it just a bar crawl? Whatever it is, you know, once you have like the very, like the logistics pinned down, I start bringing people in at that moment. There are so many different ways that people can contribute. It's almost always through a donor that has a relationship that you're able to get like an in kind, a really good in kind donation. You know, it's a friend of a friend, right? Who's able to get you that big discount of like the wine reseller. And now you have all this wine for the event you know it's like a friend of a donor or a relative of a donor that is able to let me borrow their truck to move all that water right. around you know there's so many different ways uh to that people can collaborate and particularly for sponsorships you know the sponsorships it can be difficult to first crack if you are not an agency that you know has a track record of pursuing those kinds of gifts and if you haven't had a staff member doing it but relationships can really kind of give you that fast track of starting to get your ideas and your pitch at least heard get you in the door at different corporate groups to kind of start that process as well and you know it's almost it's donors that so other people just people generally in your community whether they are contributing money or time or their passion who are still your main group of support. And once we start treating them more like collaborators and less like weirdos on the opposite side, you know, of like the divide, then you'll start to see really magical things happen. I love that. Oh my gosh. And I really love what I was, what I heard of that was once you have somewhat of a vision, it doesn't have to be the perfect end vision, but something as a previous guest on the show talked about, socialize the idea and get it out there just talking about it and then you don't know what's going to come up because it could be that truck it could be that wine sailor you know the pieces will start coming together and the right collaborators will show up as one of our old professors would always say the right people will show up absolutely yeah pretty much <laughs> um anything because we are definitely out of time of course we went over a little bit Anything you want to add to this about collaboration or whatever, anything you want to add to this? Well, I think of course, and you know, don't be afraid to ask for feedback. There are so many different kinds of expertise that you may not be aware of in your crew of support. And in my experience, asking somebody for help, if you actually could use the help, 
you're not just pandering, but genuinely saying like, I'm not really sure how to go about this. Do you have thoughts on this? And you know, it's that person's area of expertise. It can be a great way to also build that relationship with them in a way that is more powerful than like, did you get my annual report? You've seen the data, right? So we're good to go. And so, yeah, I think asking for help, I've gotten so much support and like great ideas that I would not have otherwise because look, my brain is a crowded, confusing, sexy place. It's hard to find everything all the time in there. And, you know, having those collaborators can really help kind of streamline and add in just like more joy to everything that you're doing. And that's the main thing is to respect people's time and remember like they don't have to be doing here. They don't have to be doing this. Anytime I'm in one of these committee meetings that gives me hives at 6 p.m. and I'm tired and I had a full day of actual work and I kind of don't want to do it. I just think how amazing is it? Look at these folks gathered over these Dixie cups with our, you know, look, look, the people that, and all the things they could be doing. And instead they're here with me, they're here with you believing what you're believing in even when you're bickering even when it's going not super well they're giving you you know the most infinite resource like the most finite resource that they're not going to be able to get back because they care so much about what it is that you're trying to put out in the world and there and once you if you can still keep your eyes on that prize you can deal with a lot of nonsense including magicians <laughs> oh my gosh that was a perfect circular ending great thank you oh my gosh uh, thank you for finding some time with me this morning slash afternoon slash evening because we're in very different time zones. Uh, but thank you. I imagine the listeners will love you or have fallen in love with you as much as I do. So <laughs> thanks for having me. Thanks, listeners. Thank you. Well... What did you think? Where are you at? Uh, I could have warned you also that we have a large time difference since I'm in Johannesburg and she is in Seattle. But I don't think that, hopefully that didn't come through for you. Um, anyway, this conversation, I mean, I mean, I can't reiterate it enough. How Nina commands words, isn't it so ridiculous? It's a gift that I would write to Santa Claus every Christmas for, if I could, to try and get for those who believe in Santa. Yes, I'm 42 years old. Maybe I still believe in Santa. Maybe I don't. But in this conversation, one of the big takeaways for me was when we talked about when the leader takes a step back, and that's a great component of transformational leadership, we don't always have to be the talking head as a leader. And we share leadership and we empower other people to be the leaders at moments where their skill sets are important to be the leader for. In the conversation, we also talked about how we get the buy-in. And it's so interesting with fundraisers. We talked about this briefly with Sarah Alvarado and we talked about Ales for Alzheimer's and the beginning of Own It, Building Black Wealth. It's great if you have those people right away that already have the buy-in and in funding that want to write the checks and get going right away with it to give you a great head start. Sometimes it doesn't work like that. In Nina's story, the committee got stuck on something that wasn't necessarily the most important piece and that puts your efforts back. So alignment, finding alignment with the group, knowing what your common goal is, and then going forward with that map while also 
having a facilitator in there, if possible. It was really difficult from Nina's vantage point in that group where she was a volunteer to do that. And we find ourselves often in those spaces and sometimes it's difficult to maneuver, especially when we know how this could turn out, when our expertise really does have value in the collaboration. There was also the beautiful conversation in here about when do we find that very precarious moment to start inviting other collaborators in. These are the actors that might not have a lot to do with the entire big picture, but they're still very important for a small piece of it. And there's a very delicate moment where we invite those people in while also staying transparent, sharing the idea. I love this idea of socializing the idea. And we will have the person that that originates from on the podcast soon. It's just so beautiful this how this story and this unfulfilled, in, unintentional collaboration still has so much to teach us while the brilliance of Nina Vial comes out and she adds a lot of stunning best practices and other pointers for collaboration and for fundraising. So I hope you really enjoyed this. I cannot wait to bring you next week's guest. We have the very talented and brilliant Mary Beth Collins coming on and... For now, I'm just going to leave you with this. Have an amazing week and good luck on all your collaborations. You've been listening to 20 Minute Collaborations with international collaboration coach Greg Potter. If you're interested in working with Greg or finding out how he can help your organization, visit ggpotter.com. You can also follow him on all the social media at ggpotter. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get all of the collaborative ooey gooeyness that you've been longing for your entire life. This is an Artemis Bow Productions podcast.